Louise Winters, hello you. Hello Neil, how are you? I'm literally all the better for seeing you and your incredibly bright splash of pinky magentary turquoisey purpley. The top. most pink jumper cardigan thing possible. I was actually, I was wearing pink on Saturday. I had some people around because it was my birthday on Friday, and I wore a pink dress. She said, "I like bright colours, but pink's a little unusual for me." And a pink cardi. So there you go. Lots of pink. Very nice. Very nice. And I mean, the fact you're wearing cardigan on the 4th of July indicates that the summer is a bit of a 404 fading to load right now. <laughs> right now. Though, while I was away in Portugal, apparently the weather was fabulous in the UK. <laughs> so is it, are you saying it's your fault? I, it clearly is because I came home, isn't it? That's it. <laughs> you brought the rain. Frankly, my garden, my garden worships you, to be honest. <laughs> Well, someone's pleased with me then. The plants. The plants like. Okay, good. Indeed. Indeed. What is it? It would literally pass the solstice and it's like a switch is thrown. It's like, your day's getting shorter. It's going to be winter. I'm like, thank you, nature. Bit grim, isn't it? It feels a little bit hostile. (laughs) Yes, well, looking at the wars between the spiders in my back garden. Nature is a cruel beast at times. Wars between the spiders? Yes, so that they can stay out there and have their own little wars. Just yeah, be okay. gone. Because I, I know how much you love spiders. Mm. What's really offending me, as you will as you will see at some point fairly soon, is we've got some um, carnivorous plants hanging in our, our downstairs loo. I nearly said laboratory, and I'm like, it's not a laboratory. <laughs> My God, what are you doing there? <laughs> but, in, indeed, uh, in our downstairs, in our downstairs loo, and we've got some like pitcher plants. So the the pitcher plants, the salmon seria that come up from the, the ground, I suppose the pitcher plants hang down. Anyway, long story Ooh. short, arachnids, arachnids, Louise Winters are making nests in between the pitchers. Are they really? The That's not what's mm. supposed to happen. Not happy. No. So actually, so hang on. Also. <laughs> Are they doing, is it nests or are they kind of somehow getting flies that miss the pictures? Is it, is this like a food thing or, oh, I mean, you probably don't want to get close enough to find out, but what? Well, I think it's, to be fair, they're more, it's kind of, we see the webs, it's that sort of cobweb type affair. So we know they're obviously up to something. I haven't seen, they're probably those tiny, they're tiny little ones. We haven't seen any great, like, Doc Martin wielding, fang sharpening hairy monsters down there but um but yes i'm like the pitcher plants are not the place for arachnids to build nests quite frankly and even if they were the arachnids are building nests in between the pictures not over the top of the pictures which is where the flies go silly yeah. arachnids that's what i yeah, say well yes i mean we we can assume, probably assume they know what they're doing but it does seem a little bizarre <laughs> Seems like an evolutionary dead end anyway enough of arachnids and enough of summer 404ing and failing to load we hope it. We hope the sun will come back in a sensible thing soon. Yes, but you've been please, doing please all sorts of interesting things, all sorts of important family things as well since we last spoke. But there's, do you know, there's there's lots of important milestones in my family this year. So I got married. My sister was ordained last weekend, uh, which is quite impressive. And later on this year, my mum retires. So it's kind of like oh, wow. really big life milestone stuff for all three of us. And um, so last week, two weeks after getting back from Portugal, um, we were well, less than two weeks, so about 10 days after getting back from Portugal, we went to Coventry for my sister's ordination. So we spent the weekend in Coventry. And um, the, ordin- the ordination ceremony service, I'm not quite sure. So I'm um, 
yeah being an atheist I was kind of a bit like I'm totally here to support my sister this is really important for her she's been working towards this for four years um when she started her ministry program training course MA thing um she said please will you come to my ordination and I said I thought for a minute I said yes I will definitely because I wanted to I thought for a minute not because I wasn't sure but because I wanted to make sure I could totally commit to this because I could tell it was important so you know I said I would be there so I'm like there's no way I'm not going to be there but I was also I wasn't sure what to expect I wasn't sure how it would be for me because it's a world that I feel I, I definitely feel I'm outside of I'm I've haven't I've never regularly been to church or been a church goer um I used to spend more time in churches when we were both young and we joined girls brigade and that okay. for my sister became a thing that she kind of stayed in contact with church communities uh when she went to at university and for me I really didn't I kind of let that bit of my life that had never been very secure I'd never been very securely attached to it to be honest I let that fall away so I was wondering how I'd find it and how you know and I what I wasn't prepared for was how deeply moving I found the experience the whole experience so obviously it's my sister and I love her and and I'm thrilled for her but also it was an incredibly joyful occasion it was incredibly joyful I could feel the joy for for those leading the service in the ceremony there was I think she was the the vice president or the someone someone very important anyway someone clerical and very important and every time she looked over at any one of the 12 ordinands they call them the people being ordained okay and a bit like graduands anytime she looked at any of the 12 ordinands um she just had this incredibly warm smile like she was just so thrilled for them and so welcoming of you know kind of them taking the you know kind of i guess crossing a threshold um and that re- that really touched me i thought that was beautiful oh, I'm, I'm welling up just thinking about it actually so what so like like yourself i i am an atheist i have not spent a lot of time in churches did when i was younger but that was school so i had what what happens at an ordination service can you paint a bit of a, a picture because i've been to graduation from university but i, I suspect it's a bit different it's, it's quite different um it's quite different there's kind of there's a similar kind of end goal i suppose which is that you've kind of you're formally recognized formally and publicly recognized as crossing a threshold from okay. kind of student or probationer i guess um to being a like a fully fledged minister um and actually there was some no, actually, I'll, I'll answer your question rather than going off on a tangent. So one thing is that the venue was absolutely beautiful. Coventry Cathedral is an amazing, incredible space. It's beautiful. Okay. It was designed... I was looking at a photograph of it. So we went to visit the cathedral the day before, just kind of because it's open to the public daily. And I was looking at a photograph of it, and I thought, that reminds me of the meeting house at Sussex University. Turns out it's the same architect, so Basil oh, Spence wow. designed Coventry Cathedral and designed kind of the original buildings that comprised the wow. University of Sussex campus back in the 60s. Um, so that, yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. And his use of light, his use of glass, stained glass and light is is quite incredible. 
in the wow. in the building. And of course, it's a very it's a very modern um, cathedral. Whereas you know many many of the cathedrals, certainly the cathedrals I think of, are medieval, Gothic, it, it, entirely different kind of design and construction. Mm. Um, and the other thing about Coventry Cathedral is the so the the old medieval cathedral was um, was bombed and damaged incredibly badly during the Second World War because Coventry was very heavily bombed, wasn't it? Mm, you know, in was. the, most of the city was razed. And the old the structure of the old cathedral is still there. They didn't demolish it. Um, and the two buildings, the new and the old, kind of form a complex. And they say the old cathedral has no roof. Um but being able and it's huge and being able to walk around the space within the walls is quite something amazing i just literally just put up a photo i'm like wow that's incredible i'll have to link it in the show notes that does look incredible building it 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 really truly is and i read a lot about um there's quite a lot about the mission of the cathedral and there's um there's a really it's got a really interesting mission around reconciliation which is kind of linked back to the building of a new cathedral um and kind of acknowledging the loss of the old cathedral and so the the mission of the cathedral and the people who work within it is an awful lot about healing divides and healing um around loss and trauma and that kind of and the acknowledgement of the loss and the building with that in mind, either building, you know, physical bricks and mortar or building communities or things like that. So that's the way the history history has been incorporated into the ongoing mission is um, I found that really inspiring uh, and really moving. So we're first off, we're in a space that had that I've kind of recently learned a lot. I had recently learned a lot about the history of it. It's beautiful. Um, and it's just the scale of it. It's incredibly, it's magnificent. And it you know, it really does kind of encourage you to look up and kind of contemplate and reflect on your place, I guess, within a bigger sphere of things. As, as I think, you know, many spiritual buildings do, but I, I was very, very aware of it. So space was incredible. Um, and the ceremony itself was, was about two hours and it follows the format of a kind of of a Methodist service, Methodist church service, quite a lot. So, in fact, the um, the um, the person who welcomed us to the church and kind of started things off, I want to say kicked things off, but it doesn't feel quite right in the church. The person <laughs> that kind of started things off, um, he said, well, like any Methodist um, service, we'll start with notices which got which got you know kind of ripple of laughter around the around the church so um that was quite lovely and yeah and there was there was a sermon um and there was kind of some and then there was some running through kind of what this means for the ordinands coming into the life of the church um there was a particular bit where each ordinand was presented with a very brand new shiny Bible, which looks absolutely beautiful. Um, and there's a laying of hands bit where the, um, the the lady who was kind of presiding over the main part of the ceremony laid her hands on each ordinand's head. They say 
everyone individually they came to kneel um in front of the kind of this the vice president i think it was she laid her hands on the head but they also they were accompanied by the minister who had sponsored them so basically oh, they're okay. closest thing to a line manager i guess who laid their hand on the sh- on one of the shoulders of the ordinand and there was another kind of senior cleric who also laid a hand on a shoulder so this i mean i kind of find the thought of being touched by people i don't know quite challenging honestly that's that's something that i i'm not sure how i would have Respond. I think I would have just gone along with it because I've been I would have been building up to this for years, but it seemed very important and symbolic. Okay. Um, but then, you know, this. I mean, as as I think about it now, I mean, I I'm not very comfortable with the idea of kneeling, any kind of any activity, anything that involves kneeling and kind of because it feels feels uncomfortable like an uncomfortable kind of submission. And I suppose that's part of it. There is a kind of submissive submission element mm. and it's one of the things i find a little bit tricky about religion honestly um but in the context of the service and the ceremony it you know it, it, i think everyone was entering into it with a spirit of you know kind of love and grace and you know this is this is kind of this is how we do this so actually at the time i found it quite beautiful as only as i'm looking back and thinking oh yeah interesting um and everyone Everyone seemed very happy and joyful. Awesome, as it should be. Amazing, yeah, as yeah, as it should be. Um, and there was a part where the vice president lady talked about how you know the path of ministry is is difficult and demanding, and how it will you know there will be times when it takes a lot from mm. the minister and they will need to give a lot and it, and that it will it will demand a lot from their loved ones as well and this kind of that speaks to something that I've been reflecting on around my sister's ordination which is a little bit of me it feels like I'm losing part of my sister to okay. a world that I don't understand and I a place I can't follow I can't or maybe won't maybe maybe won't maybe it's my choice yeah but you know a place where I'm not going to follow her and um so i'm just acknowledging that feeling of loss and i i think that actually you know it's not that i'm losing anything important about my you know about my sister about my relationship with my sister it's it's a change 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 always means i guess something you know something getting left behind but i don't think i'm the one getting left behind i think i think it's just that but that's my fear that i'm gonna somehow be left behind or find myself outside um but and that kind of that bit about you know being demanding on loved ones, I think put that into a different perspective for me. That it, yeah, there might be. I think there will be times when my sister prioritizes her work um, over her family. Some, some not all the time, but sometimes. And I think that's the thing that actually that's the tangible thing I'm frightened of. And and actually that's that's part of life because she's an adult and. Um, like me you know I make decisions about what I prioritize I don't always prioritize my family or my sister so actually it gave me a different perspective on that interesting so it was, it was a lot about my you know I was reflecting a lot on my feelings and then um as I shared on LinkedIn 
the um it was all very it was all very beautiful and and I was so thrilled for her so thrilled for her and then the organ and there's an incredible organ at Coventry Cathedral I do love a good a good church organ um the last piece of music is something that was familiar to me but I didn't know the name of it started playing and I just that was it the music just kind of opened something in me and I just I sobbed (laughs) And I was really surprised. I think the people around me were quite surprised as well. Um, and it, it was beautiful. And we found the piece of music later. It is by someone called, composed by someone called Charles Widor. And it's the Toccata from the Fifth Organ Symphony. And I'll put the link in the show notes because it is, I, I find it an enchanting piece. Of, well, no, enchanting isn't quite right. It's very energetic. It's very joyful. And it just kind of, yeah it's like it kind of that was kind of like the last thing that just broke something open in me and I was like I was streaming wow sound that sounds like quite the day do you know what it blinking well was it was really quite a day yeah I wouldn't have missed it for the world and the weekend my weekend leading up to that Sunday afternoon was quite challenging for reasons I'm, I'm not going to go into but um involved not a lot of sleep and not choosing somewhere very great to stay and and it, uh, it was quite difficult there were a couple of points where i thought i just want to go home i just want to go home <laughs> and tell my sister i can't do this i can't attend to ordination because i'm just broken and i'm really really glad i didn't and it was really important that i actually that i'd be there really important for me and i think it was important for her of course powered power through i did listen to that piece so thank you obviously you shared the link with me prior to this and it's an interesting piece of music it's not one that i recognize actually but yeah energetic is right when i was watching the the video of uh the the person playing and yeah i mean four keyboards and you know there's a load of foot action going on underneath oh yes I, I mean that person like I think it's half arachnid, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> there we go. The spiders have come back. In. I mean, playing a church organ, something else, isn't it? Honestly, yeah. It's like you need. I mean, obviously, you need training for it, but it's like I kind of get the impression they kind of get up in the morning and they kind of limber up, do a bit of tai chi, go for a little run, stretch the fingers. But yeah, it was it was interesting, and it was it's interesting. I, I found it kind of listening. I listened to it a couple of times earlier on today. Admittedly, on my phone, so I didn't get the I didn't get the full kind of resonant cathedral experience. Um, my, my my phone's good; it's not that good. Um, but yeah, interesting, interesting kind of different parts to it as well that kind of leads mm. you on and then kind of opens up and then comes back down and opens up a bit more and opens up and opens up and I'm like, actually, that feels. I can quite imagine. I can quite empathise with how that potentially would be shifting. And like last time we we kind of called the podcast a series of little shunts, but that feels that bit of music. Yeah. I was like. I kind of feel like that could have been quite a good shunt, quite a big shunt towards the end of an event that was already quite intense and emotional and involved and subtle and nuanced and strange and all those things. That's very. That's a very astute observation. Thank you. There is something about kind of the flow and the almost like waves, kind of a bit of a progression and and a building. There's there's a point at. I was listening to it just before I joined the call. And there's a point at 48 seconds in. Uh, it's about six and a half minutes in total. So it's quite early. But there's a point where it's almost, it's one, I think it's one of those shifts, one of those changes of gear, because it's actually, I think there's a very, very tiny, very, very small slowing down. Very, very small. Okay. 
and it just but it's like it kind of it's like the music shifts into a bigger more magnificent register and it kind of it's more majestic somehow and I was I was just reflect I was I'd only got as far as noting it at that one time so I was just reflecting on that that kind of shift and change of gears and yeah yeah it's, so it's really interesting what you said about that that kind of thing occurring through the piece Imagine you've made me think of something deep in the back of my head. I had no idea where this came from. It's something to do with architecture, probably Kevin MacLeod and Grand Designs. But also that made me think of churches. So there is a point to my ramblings. But that and also that point of threshold as well. So you're talking you're talking quite a lot about crossing the threshold and going from space to space. And the back of my back of my head was chumping away while I was listening and thinking of that kind of liminal space and then when you're talking about architecture, and actually the music, what you've just made me then think of, is a trick in architecture, small t trick, around creating awe in spaces. So if, for example, you enter a building in a small like a small corridor or a series of small spaces, that is where your perception is set. And then suddenly if you open up, if you go into then a massive space, but of course it works for churches because most churches have got I can't remember what the technical name is, but in-house we call them a porch. There is a technical name. I want to say transept. Lordy, I don't think it's transept. It's something it's, else. But you, I you think can't it's go the in. you're thinking of. Yeah, it could be. But you've got to go in through a small... Yeah, so it's a small, usually sticky-outy bit, technical architectural term. Um, certainly older churches, newer ones less so, I think. But you kind of go into this fairly small thing and then suddenly the building opens up in front of you and it's just like, wow. Because mostly... Western churches, specifically speaking, don't have any experience of others, but mostly pretty impressive things. Um, but actually, yeah, so it feels like there's a, a parallel, perhaps, with the music. And I'll have, I'll have to listen back to it and listen to that bit you specifically picked out, actually, because there's there's a lot of music I love and bits of love to talk about. But those pieces where you suddenly find you're shifting a gear, I find it really interesting. And I know years ago we were talking about... Um, could we set up like a little experimental thingy and kind of get people in a room and basically blast kind oh, of like, gosh, yes, yeah, blast various bits of music at them and use it as a, a semi scientific uh, way of kind of can we mediate experience within a, a set space? Um, we didn't get around to, we didn't get around to doing it. I can't remember why. Probably too difficult, and then craziness happened. But um, that sounds about actually, right. And there is there is genuinely some real research out there done by real researchers, real scientific researchers about how kind of music mediates experience. But it is interesting. And again, listen to what you're saying. I was reflecting on like when I was when I was a kid, I went to um, boarding school. I was, I was a day kid, but my dad taught there, and there was chapel every morning. It was a CV school, uh, so it's chapel every morning, so you can get used to the whole go to chapel thing. And then when I moved schools, went away for a year, um, and there was chapel. Was, church once a week and it was always very dull English hymns which got slower and quieter and of course you imagine like 13, 14 year olds not really wanting to be there in the first place just turning into dirge but then you think about what you're describing as being really joyful and certainly looking across other let's say Christian denominations and some let's say evangelical ones and I've worked with, with folk over the years who are part of evangelical Christian denominations they go away for the weekends and put videos on YouTube. And it just looks like an awesome party. And I think in this country, certainly in England, we've got quite a, an idea that we will go to church and we'll be very sombre. and There won't be the joy you've been speaking about. And there certainly won't be the hand-clapping, stomping, dancing around that others do. I mean, years ago, when I, when I was at school, I played bass. I supported friends of mine who were 
who were gigging in a church. The, mm. the atheist who was hanging around with the Buddhists was uh, like, do you want to come and play bass for us? We're lacking a bassist. So yeah, fine. So we up to southeast London somewhere and playing bass in the Christian band for a night, which was mostly the Ted thing, but really good fun. But it did help. It did help change that. It really mediated that experience in, in ways. I think in this country, again, I am an atheist. I acknowledge that background. But I think it would have been a lot more fun and a lot more engaging if we'd have had that kind of joyful experience you're talking about rather than, mm. yeah, just really not, really not. Yeah, really, really not. I, and that is that is how I think about church and church going is not joyful. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, hymns that turn into a dirge, um, self-flagellation, feeling fairly miserable about being a human being. I mean, I'm kind of picking out the worst aspects here, but those are the things that come to mind for me when I think about, you know, think about shame, I think about sin. Um, yes. You know, the natural condition of human beings is to be sinners. It's like, okay, what's my, where's my motivation here, people? I know. I mean, I, I know people who are who are lapsed ex-Catholics. In fact, no, they're ex-Catholics. Lapsed, comma, ex-Catholics rather than they're lapsed ex, which just a double negative. Let's not even. Um, and yeah, brought up and you go to church and original sin is baked into everyone. You spend your life atoning for it. And I'm like, I know I'm a good lefty, but I don't believe people are intrinsically bad. Or no, I believe there's other other factors. And so yeah, it's interesting and. It's kind of a difficult so, place religion's to start so much from, isn't it? I, I think so, um, but I, I do wonder. We were watching, I don't know what we were watching the other day. Something new Indiana Jones film, which actually is not that bad. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, I was expecting it to be terrible. No, no, no. It's uh, number four. Just ignore that film. It, that was terrible on every level. This one is back to like one, two, and three. So you can skip number four. Okay. Call this one the fourth Indie film. It's quite good fun. It was either that or something else. And it got myself and my other half talking about talking about religion and talking about power dynamics within religion mm. and different parts of different religions. So, like for example, there's. Um, there's a lot of churches and chapels in Bristol, but we really move here from very traditional English to uh, a few Quaker meeting houses that have won the past. There's an area called St Paul's, so we were at St Paul's Carnival over the weekend, and it's um, Afro, basically Afro-Caribbean sector of the city, and amazing. Just, and we went to the carnival and saw the amazing carnival things and hung about there for a bit. But we were really interesting, and it's an old, partly industrial area as well, and so part wandering around, really interesting, turn the corner, and there was just a building that was, I don't know, an office, or one, one I've got to be honest with you, looked like an old um, car garage, car fixing garage, automotive garage, and it, the signs above were now, they'd been turned into places of worship, mm. and meeting places, and we're talking about it actually, because there's, I don't know why, but the from my education and bits of the Bible and bits of study that are taking up parts of my brain that I could probably use for other things now. But anyway, um, and there's there's a whole there's a piece somewhere in the Bible about um, somebody, probably Jesus, saying something like "Split a rock and I am there, do a something and I am there." He's basically saying you don't necessarily need to go into a big, big mm. gaff, big house to do it. And again, I think it's it's interesting that there's that very set idea of of church and there's that set idea if you go in you feel the awe where does that place you whereas if you look at different parts of different religions and or different kind of faith traditions that power gradient's not necessarily there i find it really, again really interesting i work with um work quite closely alongside uh i can't remember who it was now probably a bishop vice bishop if there's even such a thing um but i was working for westminster and working on the um covid mortality 
piece. And he had, I learned so much, actually just so much from him. And his, his approach was never about that or spectacle. It was about engaging with people on that mm. one-to-one, that kind of conversational basis. And I think he did have a, I think he did have a traditional niche church. I never really got a chance for that conversation. But it was just, again, he kind of helped change my thinking slightly. Because I've never been that chatty with priests. I don't tend to bump into them too much. And it's just, yeah, just really interesting But how... Again, how things have changed and been co-opted, and it's really interesting listening to you talk about Coventry Cathedral as well, and just the narrative that's been built into that. Although it is a, literally an awe-inspiring place, from the narrative you described, it doesn't sound to me as though it's invoking that power dynamic. That let's be honest, mm. if you walk into a traditional English parish church, there's definite power dynamics going on in that thing. You just have to look at where people stand and how high things are. Yeah. Yeah, architecture and a music mediating experience. And then the, the music on top. Well, I mean, there's there's the interest there's there's the interesting history of churches certainly, and I'm sure actually anywhere, but certainly in England, where you know, go back far enough, and church power and politics were all intertwined. It was kind mm. of it was the local seat of politics, basically. You know, it just, it just kind of de facto was. Um, so there's kind of there's that interesting history. And actually, and so very different to that. The other thing I wanted to mention, so I, 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 I feel deeply ambivalent about the church, as I think has, I think has come across, um, because quite a lot of my default position is to be very sceptical about, um, about Christianity, about how, about what's done in the name of Christianity, about how it operates, about what it tells us about how we are as human beings, where we start from, and and against the backdrop of all of that something i realized um through being at my sister's ordination is that my worries about losing connection with her somehow or, or losing a part of her to something that i don't understand was, is a real founded because what i realized is that we're both finding seeking in our own ways connection with something much bigger than ourselves we're both seeking something that i think we perhaps didn't have or felt was missing from a very early age which is i you know i I think our family as many families in the 70s kind of many fairly well-off families in the 70s in um kind of middle england were is quite insular our family was really quite insular and very self-contained our nuclear family was i mean i've got a big family on my mum's side in fact on both sides but somehow there's something still something insular and self-contained and and kind of um self-sufficient about us and i think we're both in our own ways reaching out to find connection with much with a much bigger purpose and really we're seeking love on a much bigger scale than we ever knew it as children um so that kind of overarching kind of sense that we're both on a similar path on on similar paths that are separate but overlap somehow um so it it really did give me a vision and an understanding of being part of the church and christianity as a you know as a mission of love which is something i'm very very interested in too it's just you know different different ways of going about it i suppose interesting I th- that, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective on it. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about it like that. Hmm. Intriguing. The different yeah. paths, I suppose, different paths people take through through life. But yeah, that piece around reaching out, I think, is interesting. And I, 
What's that whole kind of insular nuclear family thing as you were talking again the back of my brain was gently chuntering around and what it's now <laughs> I spitting out sound like some kind of old seventies till, but it's going on in the background. Is uh, people I've worked with in the past who um I can't really roll with them, but they kind of live and work within five miles of their family. Mm. And I found that really I found that really interesting. And it's just one of those things, I mean I've moved around a little bit, not not masses sort of thing. Um and then when another half and I got together we got moved out and then moved around and then obviously made the I say the big move it's about three hours up the road so in global scale it's basically next door um but kind of just made that move because we wanted to experience a different parts of the country and, and, and check out some some different perspectives sort of thing but I just always found it really interesting that people are like oh yeah my sister lives just around the corner and my parents live over there and auntie Ethel was born in the house that she is now in and she's 97 I'm like wow really interesting and again what does that tell us about how we are as a as a as a country speaking of obviously kind of english context what is that mm. are we that settled from a nation of conquerors and explorers let's be honest and enslavers um has england always had this kind of relative you're right relatively insular relatively sort of self-contained pockets of things is that similar across other cultures i, I don't know mm. unfortunately i don't have enough experience of, of other cultures but yeah it's just it's interesting, isn't it? It throws up all those questions about work and family and friends and mm. mental space between things. I suppose mental space between people and, and stuff and then physical space as well. And actually, it's like, yeah, I've moved to almost the other side of the country from you, but we still do this every month. We talk a lot across yeah. kind of Signal, across Mastodon, across LinkedIn and whatever. So our physical space has changed, but our mental space, I feel, hasn't shifted that much. It's just, mm. it's not quite as easy to go, do you fancy popping out for a quick beer? Because it's three hours up the road, something. That that bit's more difficult, but it's it's almost um the kind of the distance is the distance in lockdown, which again was not a physical. Well, I mean, it was kind of like yeah, it was a slightly different thing, but it was definitely a distance. I think that in response to that, you and I became much more disciplined about making time to chat. And, yes. and through the podcast is kind of that has been that has supported that. But I think there's something interesting about, you know, when when distance was imposed upon us outside of either of our control, we became a lot more disciplined about this, which I'm in, incredibly happy about. Mm, that's true. And I think sometimes there's and I, I think of, of friendships I've had in the past and kind of just as things do, people change and life paths go different ways. And you sort of drift. And sometimes actually, if you're that close, you're like, oh, I'll pop around tomorrow. Mm. And it's quite difficult to pop around tomorrow because A, tomorrow never comes, but B, something always, uh, to quote Bugsy Malone, but something always kind of happens was actually, yeah, putting oh, rules. I don't believe I just said that. Putting structure, that's style, and putting mm, structure, shape, and, and form, unfurling into a form. There we go. Uh, but kind of putting that in, actually, kind of, there's, an, there's also that kind of intentionality to it as well. Mm. So we can be intentionally spontaneous because, let's face it, we never stick to our. our not even script on this thing. <laughs> That's true. There's okay, a spontaneity this... in there, but it's within it's within a bound that we we hold and and so on. Yeah, but yeah, space spaces in between. It's interesting and just uh, yeah, bringing in lockdowns made me think of all those spaces in between people. How space took on such a different form as well. I still see things spray painted on the pavements and in shops and whatever. Give space. Keep space two meters here, two meters here. It's like, wow, mm, mm. three years ago, a lot, a lot has happened. A lot has happened, hasn't it? Yeah, and I, I wonder if, um, 
So I've been reading, I think I may have mentioned it before, but still on a music theme, I've been reading the the book that's a conversation, the Nick Cave book. It's a conversation between Nick Cave and Sean O'Hagan, Hagen. Um, and and this these conversations were happening, I think it was in 2021. So the pandemic had been in progress for a little while and, and Nick Cave references the pandemic a lot. Okay. In, in what he's talking about so yeah and I think yeah I think it's important to reflect on how things were and how things have you know what has changed since before the pandemic before the Covid pandemic started and what's changed through the course of the pandemic up till now. Mm. I think we're starting although it's still all very fresh I think we're starting to get that perspective a few mm. years so now I feel some perspective it won't come out in the wash for another five, ten years. There's still a lot of inquiries and all that sort of procedural stuff going on. But I think actually just that that piece when eventually we get to the other end of whatever and it's not even a it's not even a thing. And then you have that moment of realisation and you go, Oh, actually this was a thing. This kind of happened. So I was thinking about it recently because I um, went up to the London's went up to London town and I was on the train Ooh. and the train's half empty most of the time. I I don't actually wear a mask on public transport anymore. I just Mm. drifted drifted out slowly and I was down in the underground and a few people wearing masks and I was very impressed and slightly envious actually that and envious sounds like an odd word I suppose but I was sort of looking at them going and they may have envious is a really bad really weird word because they might have underlying health concerns there might be other reasons behind it but I was like actually you're you are standing out from the crowd and they were mm. to look out around their mask probably British, Caucasian, etc. Whereas, of course, we know, I mean, people in, let's say, Hong Kong have been wearing masks in public for years mm. because of SARS and various other things. So it wasn't as though they were someone who was obviously from a different culture where wearing masks was more kind of acceptable. And I was like, oh, wow, actually, you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're standing, I've really noticed it. You're kind of standing out, you're, you're holding on to that thing. There's a lot of conversations I've got masked on about kind of masking up. Like I, I feel a bit bad when I don't, but I've kind of forgotten the mask actually mm. you know, leave it at home, leave it at home um and so yeah it's that that sort of thing still kind of it makes a different feel to things it uh, well and i'm i'm in exactly the same place as you i've kind of drifted out of wearing a mask mask wearing on public transport and i still think about it sometimes but I've, one of the things that um the most difficult thing for me was the experience of standing out and being very visibly different by virtue of wearing a mask and I still have mixed feelings about no longer wearing and and yet I have stopped wearing a mask on public transport and in you know in crowded indoor spaces like you know busy supermarket I don't wear a mask anymore but I um I have mixed feelings about that and I I've and it, it is mostly it's mostly about kind of the the norm and peer pressure, I suppose, and finding it finding it hard to kind of keep standing out. Um, and it and my worries about not you know not mask wearing are, are about losing sight of those people for whom actually wearing a mask could really make a huge difference. I, I feel like um, for me and many people in the kind of moderate level, the same level of health as me that wearing a mask doesn't make doesn't provide a huge benefit or doesn't kind of save us from great risk but there are plenty of people out there who I know 
have underlying health concerns, have, you know, uh, immune compromised, for whom COVID is still a very big threat. Mm. And so it's kind of my worry about that is about losing sight of, you know, I guess, you know, by by virtue of me not being so visible by not wearing a mask, um, I guess I feel that I'm complicit in keeping in in kind of keeping those people who have different health needs invisible Mm. and and yeah I still do it I I still don't wear a mask even though I've got this kind of intellectual debate going on in my head about am I you know am I living my values is this okay yeah it's a difficult one because again what you made me think as well is virtue signaling so obviously Mm. we just finished pride month we're in disability month I think now we'll have a black history month is coming up and of course, business-wise, there's always that kind of slew of brands who change their logos. Oh, look, it's another bloody rainbow. I feel so seen. Thank you very much. Um, but actually, is wearing a mask, or could wearing a mask, be interpreted by some as virtue signaling? So I am, I, one, the mask wearer, is it's purposefully standing out to stand up for something greater. Because one of those things we'll never know. We'll never know, and we could ask, oh, let's be radical and ask people. Um, that might be a bit intrusive. But you could say to someone, or can I ask you why, tell me about why you're wearing a mask, and not in a non-aggressive way, just in a, a I'm interested in you as another sentient existing person in this universe. Um, but is it that actually they're sending a message to say COVID is not over, or is it they have underlying health conditions? And again, it's it, you're right when you're sort of talking about how you'd be seen. I was thinking about the back of my head. I was like, I wonder selfishly. I then wonder whether people go, "Oh, he's just bloody virtue signaling," same as like whacking on a pride ribbon or, or whatever else. Um, if there's not an intention behind it, it's it's so difficult to know. And yeah, that's hmm. Inter- yes, interesting. Thank you for illuminating an interesting part of my own thought process. I hadn't realised realised what was going on. There's an awful lot going in there, going on in there all the time, Neil. I mean, you and I both know this. There's a lot going on oh, for you. I suspect both of us is one of the things that we connect on. Um, Indeed, it's yeah. complicated. That's what I've decided. Yes, I think yes, it's complicated. The, the so it's complicated. That was one of the relation statuses on Facebook, wasn't it? Back in the day. Oh God, back in the day. Back, yes. say, back before Meta, Elon wow. Musk got involved yeah. with Twitter. I mean, you know, back when social media was still really relatively wow. innocent. I've yeah, I've forgotten that. Yeah. Wow. I love Facebook. I have got a Facebook account for work. Don't I don't don't miss the evil empire. I like Mastodon. My home is now Mastodon. It's like it's so it's most my experience is mostly so friendly. I know everyone doesn't Mastodon have that is my experience of Mastodon is Mastodon is lovely. Just and but I but I use I use Mastodon a lot less than I was using Twitter even a year ago. Yeah. I it's a, I think my disillusionment with Twitter has helped me helped me kind of reevaluate my social media habits mm. in a good way. I think yeah, I think a lot of people are in the, the same position. But yeah, some good communities. Not everyone's having the great experience. Do see quite a lot um, of people talking about other people who are not having great experience. But yeah, generally it's quite good. And there's some nice there's some nice music folk on there. So there's sort of swapping music recommendations and people do like Tune Tuesday around a theme and so on. Just bring us back to our, our topic. But um, yeah, it's nice. it's interesting. And again, it it's changing the way. It's certainly changed the way I'm thinking about how we exist as digital beings. 
So we we have that that split in between the digital being and the the physical being, and then obviously the physical mm. being and the cognitive being and the etc. All the all the different beings we are in one time, and, and digital being is the one we potentially have the most intentionalized control over because we can theoretically choose what it is that we type. I'm saying theoretically because obviously there's biases and subconscious drivers and all that kind of good stuff going on underneath. But we have we create those avatars for ourselves. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's just making me think about how all those those federate now, those different parts of the being come together and then watching how like brands and so on are dealing with that changing landscape as well. And obviously I think it's this week, Facebook Meta, sorry, the Evil Empire, are releasing Threads, which is their Twitter clone. Oh, okay. Gonna, so that's oh, going to integrate wow. with Meta, with Insta, and various other bits and pieces. And I'm like, people, people. Let just, it go. <laughs> just be calm. There you go. It's like, yes, why not? Why, why build yet another thing? Why not make the thing you can't better? Why build something else? That's that's a branding decision. Yeah, it's above, above my pay grade. That one can't be doing with that. Yeah, well, I yeah, you do just kind of have to let them get on with what they're going to. Well, my philosophy is just kind of let the um, billionaire run social <laughs> media platforms, or yeah, billionaire or evil empire corporations let them do what they're gonna do i i've become and i think i've said this before i've become much more interested in quite quite localized networks so the thing mm. i like about mastodon is that actually i mean it's because it's federated i can connect with literally you know kind of millions of other people but where i put my attention is kind of people whose interests seem to align with mine yes um but also i've joined the I've talked about before the emotional work community, um, which is run by Emotional Work Consulting, and that's they're relaunching that at the moment. It's potentially a very interesting space because that's kind of an HR organizational development kind of community. And do you know HR? They they were massive bloggers back in the day. <laughs> yeah. they, the HR blogging community was like on fire. Um, really quite <laughs> incredible. So they certainly that the emotional work community has been quite lively and chatty and, and i hope it will be then it kind of went quiet and i hope it will be again we'll we'll see what they plan to do with it um yeah and there was oh and i've, I've recently got involved in uh, in a group called uh the facilitators cafe which is run by a guy called kevin um and it's kind of like an online meeting once a month and it's for people to talk about working in facilitation and share tools oh, wow. techniques you know talking about things like you know how can ai help us with facilitation or you know kind of digital so that's really and i had a really good chat with kevin earlier about my kind of plans for a listening community um so yeah i'm really enjoying connecting with the people around topics of interest i guess rather mm -hmm. than uh, which is kind of a little bit like what twitter was like when it started Back um, in the day, yeah. But 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 more intentional, kind of like, oh no, I'm I'm interested in facilitation. I'm going to talk to people, group of people about facilitation. Oh, I'm I'm interested in HR and organisational mm -hmm. development, and you know the role of emotions and and being happier to talk about emotions at work. I'm going to join that community, or it might be I really like X person's ethos, philosophy, and how they present themselves. Right, I'm going to pay more attention to the community that they've set up or the community that they're very active in. So it's yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I like the word intentional and you've used it, haven't you? More intentional. I think it's interesting as well because there's there was something I posted on LinkedIn yesterday, today? I, 
it all blurs, quite frankly. Um, some point in the very recent history, just about more t- more changes to the LinkedIn algorithm. Yay! It's more exciting than it sounds, promise you. Um, I'll pop a link in the show notes, but it's basically there's... Oh, I'm going to have to say the word or the phrase AI. It's not AI. It's not intelligent. Um, it's a machine. <laughs> it can't think. Anyway, there's, the, there's an AI engine um, behind LinkedIn, the sitting behind LinkedIn now, that is trying to work out how to put better content, what it thinks is better content, into your feed. Okay. And it's basically based on... So it's based on the people you follow. It's based on the things that you like to talk about, that they like to talk about. So it's starting to match hashtags style etc etc it was going to i sort of posted it partly to be naughty because i figured the only the value in those algorithms exists when nobody knows about them because as soon as someone knows about them they go off and game them because it's a whole if you remember linkedin i I still do it that whole thing around linkedin was prioritizing posts with a link in the first comment suddenly and i still do it because i'm like i it just seems stupid to me but there you go so i kind of i kind of do it just on a, a slightly post-ironic level, I don't know if anyone's actually noticed or just thinks, <laughs> oh, okay. thinks I'm a bit weird. Um, but actually, the, but so actually so my, my, so it's my, my little piece of rebellion that I didn't write yeah, the post. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing, now everyone go off and abuse the thing so that they have to go and build another thing that does it better. Um, but it does seem to be this shift, and I've noticed it with Mastodon, my kind of thinking around Mastodon and Federation, and that in the Twitter, specifically Facebook, Probably I left it probably a couple of years ago, so I'm just on the edges of it. But it was more about the volume. It was more about the megaphone, and it was more about just shrieking into the basically shrieking into the void and hoping that someone somewhere had a little listen and came back. Whereas yeah. drifting, I'm that I'm seeing, but my bias is that I'm seeing it because I'm part of it. So acknowledging that is around the, that more intentionality. So intentionality through Mastodon joining up, and I've joined up with um, an LGBTQ IA plus server. Because you can federate with anyone else, it sort of doesn't make that much difference. But you can dive into the community and see what the local community are up to. It's lovely because there's only like sixty people on it, so there's very little traffic, and you can really just like absorb actually what's going on. Oh, nice. Um, it's yeah. With some of the others, like SDF, is ten thousand. It's big, isn't it? Yeah. It was getting that got quite noisy, and I was like, actually, I've left a really noisy environment that I kind of hated. Um, I hated it by the end. Just it's sad because I, I loved it so much at one point, but. Going into a smaller environment, having those intentional conversations, and one thing I've found is I'm more intentional about like diving in and just someone I've know people put introductions up, but they move servers, they put introductions up, and I will try and say hello to at least two people a week, just random people who happen to pop up in the timeline. Oh, hello, welcome, nice to see you. Like whatever you said, so I'm actually trying to engage a bit more like that and trying to find those other communities. And I think where kind of LinkedIn's going, what I'm really hearing from what you're talking about there is finding those. Those niche communities, those islands in the sea of crazy, if you like, mm. and engaging in there and finding voice and using voice and hearing voice in those, as opposed to trying, you know, trying to game Twitter's algorithm, which I think it's just been, I don't know what's going on with it now. And I, part of me doesn't care. Part of me wants to watch it burn. Another part of me doesn't care. And part of me just feels really sorry for all the people who lost their jobs. That's another <laughs> subject for another podcast. But it's yeah. it's that kind of intentionality. And I actually wonder whether we're drifting in the direction that I remember the internet to be. It's when I started being a proper internet user, probably late 90s, maybe. Yeah, somewhere around there. Late, mid to late 90s, probably. 
actually like joined up with car clubs and joined up with all sorts of bits and pieces that I was interested in, like Yahoo groups and communities, if you remember those things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but actually got diving, yeah, diving in and having just the old style VBB discussion forums and bulletin, bulletin mm. boards. Wow, they still exist. They're called Google groups. Slightly interesting places, but there you go. Um, but that kind of intentionality, and it was less about broadcast and more about relationship and finding relationship mm. and having conversations, which most of the time were quite silly and stupid, but actually you could normally then build up a bit of a community around you. And so if something terrible happened, there'd be people there to, to help. So I just want, yeah, I wonder whether our digital evolution is taking us back to that, just taking me back to that idea you brought of small, relatively insular groups, which also makes me think of EF Schumacher and small is beautiful. Economics as if people mattered, mm. which is a very tricky read. I've got a 70s copy and the font is tiny. They must have had big eyes back in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> it's wow. like a point font or something. It's a ridiculous That's thing. Nuts. And it's hard to heavy academia. I mean, heavy academia, I need at least 10 points, you know what I'm saying? But, um, but and yeah. And a magnifying but that... glass as well. <laughs> or like one of those magnifying sheets to put over the. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those since I was in a proper academic library, which is some time ago. <laughs> Oh dear. But yeah, but that kind of idea of, again, reducing the distance between the means of production and consumption and even small food networks and power generation, all that sort of thing. Are we actually coming back to a point where the idea of self-sufficient cells, for want of a better word, is where we want to go? And in a way, it wouldn't surprise me. It's been a terrifying few. It's been a terrifying few years. People have, millions of people have died from a, a virus that appeared out of nowhere. And there's war. There's war in Europe. There's war floating around in Africa. There's war in, I mean, America's almost a war with itself. If you look, it's it's horrendous. And I feel just so sorry for everyone who's caught up in everything that's going on in America. But you think actually all of these big meta things? Are we just looking now for? something that will facilitate connection and conversation and whether it's a spiritual faith community or a community of facilitators is that where we're now looking Mm. Mm. i think i certainly at the risk of giving a really kind of superficial facile answer i i am i'm looking at smaller networks and but what i'm i'm also interested in this is actually this is the conversation I was having with Kevin today. So he put out a what he's called a rally cry on LinkedIn that he's interested in kind of that what the meta network is that links or could be that links these smaller communities. He was kind of like, if you run a community, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking of I want to I've got an ambition to start a community. I, and I, I think I said to him, I don't know if this, you know, if this is really of interest to you, but I'm I got a vision to start a community about this and he's like oh let's have a chat so so there's there's kind of like the the kind of the small scale community thing but also you know what what's the structure that what is a structure that, that can sit within so we can communicate between our uh, networks that are organized around themes of interest or you know whatever it might be so that that's quite exciting that is i went to an event in bristol um recently last week last thursday so it was run by the bristol urban forum and it was the first of a of a series of events they're putting on and the others i think are on weekends then capture shoppers this was an evening one and it was trying to get people together around um kind of topics what should be the topics for debate in bristol with the aim of making a manifesto a place manifesto i was like yeah i love place manifestos yay come come to me um but all the things that sort of matter to the people so it was one of those incredibly unstructured participative democracy 
things with a hundred people sitting around in a circle and then like right we have whiteboards and there are things on whiteboards and go to the whiteboard that you feel drawn to and then kind of we'll ring a bell and we'll move on and no one actually heard the bell we all sort of drifted and floated about it was lovely that kind of very participatory grassroots democracy completely unstructured way everyone had a lovely lovely time um but again that was about kind of bringing together and trying to find some of those networks that layered into links. It was interesting listening to some of the conversations and most people there, I went on my own, most people there knew each other, I think, or were part of networks. And so it was interesting hearing those networks kind of interlink and what people were then bringing. And then someone as a, a newbie to the city, been here just under a year now, it's crazy, 10 months. Um, but also with a particular set of, thoughts and experiences that I, I very intentionally parked. And it was one of the sort of invitations at the start was kind of obviously don't bring your ego and all that sort of thing, but leave your necessary kind of I don't know, professional experience at the door. And I was like, right, I'm I'm literally going to do that. Um, even though at times I was like, this can't work. I know what you're trying to do, but this com- particular conversation, please, it just can't work. Um, because I've seen things in the past that, that couldn't. And yeah, it's just a really interesting kind of network. And I left reflecting on it and just thinking there is then a meta network across actually sort of a society level that this feels like it's just tapping into. It's concerns about climate change, about well-being, climate change, well-being, transport. Nothing was particularly bristly at the top level of conversation. And then got bristly as you got into the nuance of it. But I was just, I just had this sense that there's that, bubbling around that there's other things happening and the wider societal moves the wider um prompts that we're given through the media through the networks we're, we're part of we are we are part of those ecosystems there's no there's no back and forth about it we are we can't be separated from the ecosystems in, in which we live mm. actually there's a, a comment on mastodon i think randomly about gardening i was not looking on gardening hashtags but someone turned around and said if, you're, if the plants in your garden are not being eaten by something, you're not part of the, the right ecosystem. Well, mm. several, several of the, the wildflowers at the back are covered in aphids. I did find a ladybird, introduced it, wandered up and down, looked very impressed, and then pushed off, and I've never seen it since. But this is like this is like an aphid gourmet out there. <laughs> and I refuse to spray. I'm not spraying anything on it. But it, just, it struck me. It's that kind of, if your plants aren't being eaten, you're not part of the right ecosystem. I was like, oh, mm. that mm. feels... That feels... I mean, this was like 7 o'clock this morning, probably, before I'd had a coffee. But I was like, that feels quite deep and a bit different to what we're we're always told. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that sparks quite a lot of thought, not all of which is actually easily resolving into words. But that's that's definitely landed with me. It's like, oh, yeah. Because there's something about... And obviously, the ecosystem we often think of being constructive and they are they are generally quite constructive things ecosystems can collapse to us when we because they're outside things but yeah that i just picture my poor plant well poor plant it's we hope it's not a weed it was like a load of wildflowers we kind of scattered and we have no idea what's in there and this thing has popped up and like if it's a weed we're just gonna let it do its thing but we kind of hope it's gonna be pretty it can be a pretty weed but it, it's, it's only really weed being... if you don't want it there well indeed i don't know if i want it there yet because i don't know if it's pretty i'm all about the pretty so it's like a Schrodinger's but... weed yes indeed (laughs) but I've been quite sorry for it because it's been chomped chomped away and then I was like actually yeah but it is part if the ladybird would deign to come back from where the ladybird pushed off to how rude it would find there's this kind of gourmet and then it would eat and it would get fast and it would do its ladybird baby thing and then a bird would come along and would eat it and then all the wonderful things would happen from this Mm. yeah 
if you're not being eaten you're not part of the right ecosystem yeah yeah, yeah. And it, it really kind of um shifts that kind of transactional thinking of you know we grow food in order to eat we have to keep the key we have to maximize the productivity of the food she could also talk about maximizing the productivity of human beings and the, the kind of the shadow side of that so it's like, yeah. kind of like the shadow side of of um the whole kind of consumption kind of growth i guess economy mindset mm thing you know there is a shadow side of it and and I think we're very much experiencing that in you know across very different or men the different threads of capitalism at the moment you know the shadow side of that is yeah it's rearing its ugly head and we're we're not managing to ignore it anymore yes absolutely we need to we need to pay attention actually yeah well I don't think we're going to get much choice honestly as things go on I think even even those even those of us who are managing to bury our heads in the sand successfully, and, and I am to a certain extent, you know, there's some things I'm just refusing to look at. But I, I think that, yeah, that's that's a luxury that we that we won't have in, for indefinitely. Yeah, a luxury and a privilege. I agree. Mm. There is one thing I wanted to quickly throw in before the end of the podcast. Oh, okay. A bit, of a, a bit of a challenge. Throw away. A bit of a challenge. So pick up my pen that I've thrown on the floor. Um, so I'd like to say I went up to the, the big Londons recently, and um, I was listening to some music. So I was in the middle of Paddington. I'm like, oh, just, just a bit of music. I listened to a podcast on the way up, and it's amazing. Phil, one of Phil McKenzie's, and my, so my brain was all full. I was like, I can't be doing with listening to things and navigating the entire population of London in Paddington at that, that one point. So I was like, I'll have some music. So we'd recently been to see Mono, one of the favouritest bands, Japanese band, and um, it was an amazing gig. Wonderful, 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 wonderful time. And so listen to their, their new album, and it's called Pilgrimage of the Soul. And to me, it's it like... I know, it's amazing. It's just this... Oh, it's a... I don't know what, how many albums it is. It's been together 30 years. Yeah, 10th? Is it 10th or 17th? Not much difference between numbers. I should know. Anyway. So, yes. Um, I started listening, started listening to it as I was wandering through Paddington. And the second track is called Imperfect Things. It's my favourite track on the album. It's just, it just, it does something to me on, on a, a vibrational level. It's amazing. And as I was, as it was started, it starts very slow. And as we were talking about at the beginning with the piece of music you, you picked, mm-hmm. um, it, it starts quite slow. And then it, for me, there's a lot of quite visceral imagery about kind of going down. It is the, for me, the album feels like a, a, de- a descent into a hellscape. And then mm. you come up, and it's, I mean, it's, it's not hellish music, but you kind of descend and it's dark and dark. And then by the end, you come back out and you feel kind of, it's a, it's a whole journey. Anyway, so as I was not planned, imperfect things, I was like, oh, it's amazing. My heart lifts anyway. And of course, I go down the escalators and I'm going down. I'm literally going down into the underground while this track, my favorite track on the album, but the track that for me kind of starts this journey, this visceral pilgrimage down into. To the crossing the sticks and doing all that sort of stuff. As I'm going down, I'm standing, and admittedly, by this point, I'm pretty much done. I'm not quite dancing on the platform, but I'm definitely kind of my head's going. I'm, I'm trying not to air drum. It's just, oh, it's amazing. But actually, that it just got me reflecting on the influence of music on mediating experience, which brought me back to where we were mm. earlier and, and how that album specifically in that context going down into underground and spending time underground in basically in the dark that's not there are lights in the underground but if they go out it's gonna be very dark uh, with other people and kind of traveling and, and journeying how that music really changed that experience and how i've been listening to i don't know the, the piece you brought or just some k-pop or whatever 
it would have been a, a different experience. Different. Again, years, years ago, I went, shop, went shopping in Worthing, one of the big Tesco's. Not a fan of supermarket shopping anyway. Don't understand supermarket logic. That's another thing. And I was listening to the latest album by um, Godspeed You Black Emperor. Oh, yes. And Again, I know that they're another group that you um, absolutely love. adore them. But it's I can't remember which one it was. It was probably one of the... They're all fairly dark. One of the darker ones. I nearly had a panic attack. I have never... It mediated the experience to such a point. That I, was like, mm. I, 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 was, I remember standing in the middle of the store going, I'm going to hyperventilate or pass out in a minute. This is the lights, the people, the shopping, which I'm not a fan of, and everything else. And then this music kind of really mediated the experience. So, challenge. Challenge, challenge, challenge. Okay. It would be really interesting for you to pick a bit of music, an album, an EP, whatever floats your boat, and take it somewhere. Mm. Headphones, speakers, whatever. Into an experience that could be, I don't know, could be a walk, could be a train ride, could be whatever whatever you feel like. And just listen to it as you go through that experience. And I'd love to know if anything in the music you've picked, and I can't pick for you, because it'll the what I what mm. I pick will probably it, it won't resonate in the same way. But pick something, maybe take it to a different experience. If there's a piece of music you really love, take it to somewhere that maybe you haven't been before or whatever. Mm. How does that how does the music mediate that experience? What changes? Or take something you don't listen to, something you don't know, to a place you do know really well. How does it change? I'd love to. It's just it. It just fascinates me. This whole thing with mono. It did make me laugh out loud. Just not always the best look on the station platform, but never mind. Um, but I was like, I, I just I couldn't have timed it better. It was one of those things. It just really made me think about how everything that's tied up in something as simple, in inverted commas, as music mediates mm. a quotidian experience such as standing on a station platform so there we go if mm. you fancy it i, I, I would love, love to your know. challenge um i accept i'm gonna have to give it some thought Ooh. about how and what and when but i'm i'm looking forward to that and yeah it feels like i feel like i could write quite a long reflective essay on on that on that experience if i if i was so minded but the, the show notes for the next episode have taken care of themselves i feel there we go see it's superb um that i that's a really so i really appreciate you sharing that reflection that serendipity of you know kind of basically unintentionally soundtracking your <laughs> your your trip to london your your kind of experience of being on the underground um in a very apt way and there's something about kind of yeah what i'm hearing is the potential of music to bring alive aspects of our experience that I suppose almost kind of so I was reading a quote earlier something about making things new um I think it might have been it might even have been a Proust quote something about not to not to kind of it, it was something like that the job is not to x but to you know kind of see things as new or see through new eyes or something something like that oh, probably okay. totally mutilated it but anyway <laughs> making the quotidian experience of being on the tube fairly unpleasant often experience of being on the tube um making that new which is which is quite an incredible thing and 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 similar in well maybe in the, in the supermarket sounded more like accentuating or really kind of making um very very present a really quite an uncomfortable 
you know, experience and experience that I hate supermarkets too, by the way, can't stand them, hate supermarket shopping. It's a necessary evil, but there's something about being in a supermarket that just puts me right on edge. Exactly. I feel, I feel that trauma. <laughs> wow. So yes, I accept your challenge. Awesome. Um, let's, let's see what comes of it. Marvellous. I look forward to it. That, that feels like a, a marvellous place to, to wrap. Mm. Mm. What is number 27 in our continuing the unfurling odyssey? 27. Un- completely unplanned. We try and plan. We do try and plan. It, it was a kind of musical thread, which, dear listeners, was what we said. Oh, let's, let's have the thread as music. <laughs> we talked about it. Let's talk about that. <laughs> a little. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's woven its way through. On that note, yes, let, let us wrap episode 27 and look forward to um, explorations of episode 28. Music and mediation of experience and all that kind of good stuff. Um, it's been an honour and a privilege, as always. Oh, it's just been an absolute joy. Thank no you. No worries. Look after yourself. And, yeah, onwards to the big 2-8. Yeah, yeah. All right, then. See you then. Bye. bye.